with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis tonight. The book of Genesis. Yes, the book of beginnings. The book of beginnings. Genesis chapter 40 tonight. And we want to read, start reading with verse number 1. Can I, get, can I get you to stand one more time? It'll get, get all the, uh, you know, it's easy. Once you get going, once you get it up, you know, how, how many have ever found, it's, it's sometimes when you get down, you can't get back up. So it's a little stiff getting back up. So I'll give you some opportunity to uh, get it stretched out a little bit there. Genesis chapter 40, begin with verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that after these things, that the butler, or the king of Egypt, and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against the two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and the, against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard and into the prison and the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them. And they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them. Each man his dream in one night each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, and I pray you. The chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. And it was as though it had budded, and her blossom shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee into thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh. And bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into, into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uttermost, uh, uppermost basket there was of all manner of bakements for Pharaoh and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. And it came to pass that when the third day when was Pharaoh's birthday that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted. 
Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Interesting. Forgot him. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight that you might work in our hearts and help us, Lord, to consider that as we serve others and as we do thy will, sometimes we wonder whether or not there'll be reward. And Lord, we know that according to your word, the facts of your word, you've said that one day all of our good, the labor that we've done for you will be rewarded. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to keep our heart fixed upon the facts of thy word. Lord, that our faith would be fixed upon the facts and not on our feelings. Lord, I thank you and praise you for your word that it does give hope and gives us perspective and gives us uh, a challenge in our, in our life to live more for you. Father, we thank you and we praise you tonight. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Joseph was a man who was being refined by God. He was going through the refiner's fire, if you would, and that's not always easy. When we go through the refiner's fire, it removes the rough edges of our life, but it also builds our confidence in the Lord and gives us a realization that we cannot trust in our flesh. We must trust in the Lord. Someone has said, when a solid timber is needed, we pass by the things grown in the hothouse. We seek the oak grown on the stormy, uh, storm-swept hills. The great in God's kingdom have been taught by the hills and the vales of temptation. Yielding creates littleness. Overcoming creates greatness. The Bible says that we are overcomers. How do we overcome the world? Even our faith. Living according to the principles of God's word, going through the tough times. Some who went through the fire in the scriptures, we find Noah, for example, for 120 years preaching the truth of righteousness to a world that did not want to know about God, did not care about God. They were eating and drinking, and the Bible says, until Noah entered into the ark. But all of a sudden, I think they probably figured out that what Noah was telling them was true. I'm, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, and yet he remain, remained faithful. I think of Job and what Job endured through the trials and temptations as God used as those trials of the fire to refine Job. Job was a man who loved God, who eschewed evil, he shunned evil, stayed away from the things that were bad. He wanted the things of God. And yet still trials come. Folks, may I share with you that even, uh, that, that no matter what you go through in, in your life, you need to understand that there will be trials in life. Trials are what make us strong. You would not be strong without trials. You need trials. You need to have trials in your life. So much of the prosperity preaching today uh, that people say is, you know what, if you'll just think positive, you won't have any trials. Well, I look at our Savior, and our, if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to have trials. He had a few, don't you think? Praise the Lord. Trials make us strong. I think of Moses, 40 years on the backside of the desert. 40 years of being uh, with the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Being refined, being uh, honed by God. I think of David on the run from Saul. 
David, who was a man after God's own heart, a man who God uh, wanted to, or was going to have to be king, and yet David was running from this man, Saul, who had made David his enemy. David was not the king's enemy, but the king had made David his enemy because he saw God working in David. God had worked in Saul, but when Saul turned away from God, then God looked for him a man, and he found it in David. David was a man who learned how to have compassion. He learned how to understand how that people, when they were going through difficult times, when they were on the run, that there was a God who could still give them peace and give them comfort. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, amazing, David in the Psalms, how many people have been encouraged by the Psalms as they've been going through trials of life? They can say, I can identify with David. I can understand. Well, it's because David walked through the valley of the shadow of death and he didn't fear evil for the Lord was with him. I think of the Apostle Paul. How many things the Apostle Paul went through, the storms of life, the shipwreck, to show, uh, show uh, Paul some things in his life. You know, those things, that when those difficult times come, they reveal some things in us that we may have thought are, was not really there. I think of some verses like Romans 7, verse 18. Paul says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He, was, he wrestled in his life in trying to, to do the things that were right. And the things that he didn't want to do were the very things that he did do. Anybody been there? I'm telling you. As you go and you say, God, I just want to live for you. And, the, and so the, the Lord says, okay, here's how you go through and you learn to, to overcome these different situations. He says, you got go through these trials and here's how you have to have the right attitude and the right heart and the right thinking as you're going through it. And you fail it and then you get the ju a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again and you fail it and then pretty soon you have more success than you have fail. And God says, okay, well, you're getting a handle on that one. Let's go try another little area of your life. You know, until the Lord takes us home, there's going to be areas for him to work on. You know, he that hath begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ, uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. See, Paul knew his own heart. You know, the more you get into the word of God and the more you see the holiness of God and who our Savior is, who is holy and without sin, you reveal, you, it begins to expose us for our faults and our failures and our weaknesses of ourselves and how far we are from God and how much we need a Savior. They, or, uh, Paul said, you know what? I'm chief of sinners. I don't know about... Paul, I know that I am one of those chief sinners. I don't want to sin. I don't like to sin. But I know that, like Paul said, in me dwelleth no good thing. You can't trust your flesh. You just need to trust a wonderful Savior in the Spirit of God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The things that seem to be impossible to do, it's amazing how God gives us strength to do it. But you'd never know that unless you went through those things that seemed to be impossible. And you call out to him and you find that he does give you what you need as you're going through those trials 
to perfect you. God was teaching Joseph here about humility. He was teaching him how to do right even when people malign your character and say all manner of evil against you falsely. I submit to you that as a Christian, those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. People will say things that are not true about you. They will malign your character. But may I submit to you that our Savior went through the same things himself. He endured the same things that he might be able to succor or help those who are in any trial. And praise the Lord for that. He went through, Jesus went through the fire, came out the other side victorious. And you can too, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this portion of Scripture, Joseph is now in prison. He seems to be going down and down and down. His brothers hated him, and he went. they put him in a pit. And then he said, you know what? They wanted to kill him. But uh, they decided to put him in a pit, and they decided to sell him. And so they sold him to some Ishmaelites that went down, and he was sold into Potiphar's house, and he became a slave. But God elevated him in that course and uh, led him up to be a position of, uh, of authority, and Potiphar's wife lied about him and, and said that he was, uh, he was immoral, and he wasn't. He got out of the house when she wanted to be immoral, and so when she lied to her husband about him, then he winds up in prison. You know, interesting thing, as you study the life of Joseph, it says, and God was with him. That God was with him. No matter how dark the trial was or how difficult the situation was, God was with him. God never left him. Regardless of the place, whether it was in the pit or the house of Potiphar or in prison, God was there with his child. You know, it seems from a worldly view that Joseph is getting all the bad breaks. In fact, you hear people say that, oh, man, that was just a bad break. <laughs> but from God's point of view, Joseph was just where he needed to be. God had a plan. He was honing his vessel for a job that he was going to be doing down the road. Now, if God would have told Joseph up front, well, let me tell you, I'm going to take you and, and teach you and give you some schooling. And here's going to, we say, okay, well, I'll go sit under these, this person and I'll learn all that I can there and that'll be wonderful. You know, sometimes God doesn't take us that place. God takes us to the school of hard knocks. Some of us don't learn any other way. You know, if you, somebody tells you and tells you and tells you and you just say, ah, yeah, 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 and God says, okay, well, let me just take you through this school and you'll learn how this really works. And uh, he takes you through those schools. Well, that's Joseph is going through this. We can't always understand why God does what he does. That's where faith comes in. Once we've committed our life into his hands, we must simply have that childlike faith to believe that God knows what he's doing and he's going to guide us. The Bible says in Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. God never makes a mistake. You say, well, pastor, I think in this situation, God made a mistake. No, God didn't make a mistake. God makes no mistakes. He's not like us. We can make mistakes. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the right course. He knows the right path. In our text tonight, it seems that there might be a way out for Joseph, but that hope of freedom is lost. Though Joseph and his good deeds might be forgotten by men, God still remembers him. Though others may not remember your good deeds toward them, 
there's an assurance that God has not forgotten what you've done. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6 for a second. This is a good verse for you to remember and keep in your mind. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10. You know, the devil likes to come and whisper in your ears. And he does that a lot. And especially as his, he knows his day is getting short, he's doing that more and more all the time. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10. Paul is writing, he says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. We were talking this morning about ministering and serving the Lord. You say, well, but nobody knows what I do. Some of you ladies that work in the nursery. You say, well, but nobody notices what you do. God says. God notices. The hours that you spend in preparation for your Sunday school lesson. You say, but nobody sees. And, and I only have one child in there. But maybe that one child is the one that God's going to use to start another great awakening in America. You just don't know what God's got in store. He's looking for us to be faithful. He's looking for us to do our part. Man may not recognize, but God always sees. Tonight we're considering the theme, forgotten by men, but remembered by God. We're remembered by God. I want you to consider as we look back in Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 through 23, that God brings people across our path to serve. God brings people across our path to serve. Here, Joseph is in prison, and he finds uh, favor in the eyes of the keeper of the prison. And we find that in the last part of chapter 39. It says, And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his, Joseph's, hand, because the Lord was with him, and that, uh, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. He uh, finds favor in the and the, uh, the eyes of the keeper of the prison and, God, and the, pr the keeper of the prison puts all things under the control of Joseph. We once again see that the hand of the Lord was upon the life of Joseph, even in prison. Even in prison. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24, it says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I submit to you that the steps that Joseph was going through were ordered by the Lord. You mean being sold by your brothers was ordered of the Lord? Yep. You mean go, being lied about by Potiphar's wife was ordered of the Lord? Yep, to get to this point where he's at. Joseph was living a righteous life. He was living a life that was pleasing to God. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You say, well, Pastor, I could understand that if he just kept prospering and kept prospering and kept prospering and he just got more wealth and more. But that's not how it works, folks. He says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his ways. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. It's wonderful that the, that the Lord is there to uphold us. Sometimes we don't think that the direction or the path that the Lord has us on is the best path, but I'm here today to tell you, that when you're walking in his will, doing what God wants you to do, you are on the right path that he wants you to be on. Here in this portion, we find two prisoners are put in the charge of Joseph, the chief butler and the chief baker. Notice the words in verse number four. 
In verse number four, it says, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he what? Served them. And they continued a season at, at the ward. Joseph was a servant to these two men. Now, Joseph could have said, well, you know what? Uh, remember, everything was put under Joseph's control there in prison. God had raised him up. And he could have said to these two, the chief baker and the, and the chief butler, uh, now you serve me. But instead, he was told to serve them. You know, it's nice to go to places that people serve you. You know, you go to restaurants and, and uh, you, people come and they ask, would you like some coffee or you'd like some tea or you'd like a soft drink? You say, yeah, uh, yes, please. Can you, can, can you bring me one? And then you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. No, that's not the type of service we want. We want the service when they, they promise you and then they bring it, right? That's what you want. When Tani and I, we went on our first cruise, we went on a cruise up to Alaska, 11-day cruise, and uh, it was wonderful. Uh, the people that were there that waited on you, uh, that, that waited on the tables or they waited in cleaning your rooms and all those different types of things, they got tips based upon how, you, how they waited on you. And so they waited on you pretty well. I mean, when you had, would like some water, I mean, it was like right there. When you wanted something to drink, it was like right there. When you wanted cookies on your bed, those chocolate cookies that are rolled so nice, just melt in your mouth, on your pillow at night, it was great because it was, you know, they had them right there. They would fold your bed down. They would do all sorts of things. Um, my wife, she's, she likes to have things nice and clean, and, and uh, she got, we'd, we'd get up in the morning, and she says, well, you know, maybe we should make our bed. I said, no, 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 no. They, they're supposed to take care of that. And so uh, they would come in, and they'd have one of these little signs in there. And they'd say, well, you know, uh, as, as you're there in the bathroom, you know, you, with your towel that you're using, uh, you know, you, if you wanted to conserve water, uh, you could put your towel back up on the towel rack. I didn't put it up on the towel rack. I threw it on the floor. They said, you can throw it on the floor, and somebody come pick it up. My wife says, well, why don't you just put it back up? I said, no, 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 no. That's not how this works here. <laughs> you say, Pastor, why? Because I, I like people to wait on me. I was paying for, I was going to be paying for those people to wait on me. Um, you know, they'd come in, and you'd, you'd go out of your room, and they'd come back, and your room would be all cleaned up, all spruced up and ready to go. I think they were sitting around the corners waiting for people to kind of, kind of get out of the get out of the way so they could sneak back in the room and get it all done. Hey, it's nice to have people to wait on you. By the end of 11 days, we were ready to keep on sailing. You know, it, this was pretty nice. I mean, you go down and they when it comes time for dinner, you could if you wanted lobster, you could have lobster. If you wanted steak, you could have steak. If you want steak and lobster, you could have steak and lobster. And if you want a couple of them, you could have a couple of those. At nights, guys, I'm telling you, they had chocolate. They had to have a chocolate night. Oh my. You need chocolate truffles, chocolate pie, chocolate everything. And you could go down and you could have as much as you wanted. Oh, it was wonderful. You go on and you, wait, you, you gain about 40 pounds when you come rolling off the, off the deck at the, the, uh, the place. Uh, it was nice because they took such good care of you. It's nice to have people to serve you. You know, when folk come to church, uh, they look for people to serve them. When people walk in the door, you know, a lot of times people walk in, this has been a long time since people have been in church. They wonder how people are going to respond to them. And so 
uh, one of the most important jobs back there is Brother Randy meeting people at the door and uh, making sure that, that they are that they know where they're going and what can we do to help them. And, and you folk, as, you, uh, as people come in and you rally around them and you make them feel welcome, hey, that's because uh, God has put that in your heart to do that. But that is such a blessing to people because I've been in churches, maybe you have too. You walk in, you walk out, and nobody even, even knew that you were there nor cared. God's plan, though, for us is to learn how to be servants. To learn how to be servants. How may I serve you? Jesus said in Matthew 10, 25, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. This morning we were looking at this idea of serving others. Being a servant. It's enough for you and for me to be like our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. James and John, remember, uh, when Jesus Christ, shortly before he's getting ready to die on the cross, they come to Jesus, and they've had this argument, this little disagreement, and they, they said, you know, Lord, uh, please, uh, I, I want to sit on your right hand, and I want to sit on your left hand. Well, what's the purpose? So that people will know who I am, and they will serve me. They had missed the point. Three and a half years, Jesus had been a servant to people, had served the disciples. Jesus said he didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Someone has said this, Christ ransomed us that we too might serve God and man. In our zeal to serve, we often overlook a critical truth. The servant does not choose his tasks. Our concept of serving God may be doing what we would like to do for God. We tell God what we will do for him and what we will not do, and where we will go for him, and where we will not. We even tell him what must not interfere with our plans. In doing this, we forget he is the master, and that the master assigns the task. Our part is to give ourselves to him, accepting the assignment he bestows. A servant is not to serve his own on his own terms, Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. So we have been chosen to run, in a, run with patience the race that is set before us. The race set before us may not be on the track that we would choose. Perhaps we would not choose the people God has placed around us or the location or the circumstances we find ourselves in. But a servant is not above his master. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. Joseph could have rebelled at being told to serve the butler and the baker, but instead he served them. Very few of us want to be known exclusively as a servant. We want to be known as a servant and a great preacher or a famous missionary or an outstanding elder or a well-known businessman or woman. What we fail to realize is that a true servanthood does not have hidden aspirations to be great in the eyes of of others. Joseph had learned to serve in the upper crust in Potiphar's house. Now he's learning how to serve what society would deem 
the down and outer. Both have needs. And so often we forget that they have needs. Albert Schweitzer was a man who was willing to abandon great career in order to serve his fellow man. In 1913, he sailed for Africa, having turned his back on fame and prestige and money. His first hospital was an old abandoned hen house. And his first operating table was a camp board. On a trip back to the United States, a reporter asked him, uh, Dr. Schweitzer, have you found happiness in Africa? And this is what he said, I have found a place to serve, he replied, and that is enough for anyone. I found a place to serve. Folks, that's what the Christian life is all about. A place to serve. Hey, Galilee Baptist Church is a place to serve. A place to serve the Lord. A place to serve the people of Stevensville. To share the gospel to the people of Stevensville. To be a blessing, to, be, to, to share with them how wonderful a Savior we serve. God used Joseph, second of all, to comfort troubled hearts. Look at verse number, verse number 5 of chapter 40. And they, talking to the butler and baker, dreamed a dream, both of them, each man, his dream in one night. Each man, according to his interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the, in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. You know, as you consider this, a butler and a baker each had the dream. The next day when Joseph comes, he notices that they look sad. They had troubled hearts. Well, how, did, how could he tell that they had troubled hearts? Because it was reflected on their countenance. You know, our countenance often is a mirror of our heart. Galatians 4 and verse number 5, it says, but, what, but unto Cain and to his offering, he, God, had not respect, and Cain was wroth, and his countenance fell. Remember when Cain and, and Abel brought their, their sacrifices to God, and God accepted Abel's but did not accept Cain? Cain brought uh, the fruit of the ground, and, and Abel brought a lamb? A picture of the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And when God says, I'm not going to accept it, he says, you know what? If you get the right sacrifice, I'll accept it. See, Cain had the opportunity. He was reproved for not doing right. God was merciful. He's given him an opportunity, but instead, he just decided he was going to kill Abel. So then God would have to accept his sacrifice. No, no, God doesn't have to accept your sacrifice if you don't come his way. But his countenance was changed. Jacob spoke of Laban's countenance. In chapter 31, verse number 5 of Genesis, and I said unto, I said unto them, I see your father's countenance. He was talking to his wives. And he says, I see of your father's countenance that is not toward me as before, but the God of my fathers hath been with me. Remember that Laban was constantly changing the, the wages 
of Jacob. When God was blessing over here, because that was the wages that were set up, then Laban says, well, wait a minute, I'm going to change the wages. And so he thought he would just cause more conflict and, and more problems with that. And God was overriding all of Laban's ideas. But his countenance changed. His face changed. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke chapter 9, verse 29, and talking about Jesus and says, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance, proposone is the Greek, it's the word, his face was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. The face of Jesus changed. You know, you can tell a lot about what's going on in the heart of a person by their face. When you've been around people, you can look at their face and, you know, they can have that down cast look. They may not say a word, but you can tell. You can tell in their eyes that there's something going on, especially if you know them pretty well. Brother Randy and I, we've, you know, I can, we can read each other pretty well. We can say, you know, oh yeah, things are great. You know how that is? People, oh, yeah, things are great. Things are going good. But you know that things are not going really good. Your countenance reveals the, it's the mirror of your heart. There was a lack of understanding here of these men, of this dream that God had given to them, this truth. They didn't understand what the truth meant. The butler and the baker, but they, they didn't understand. They needed someone to interpret. The butler had his dream interpreted in verse number 9. Look what it says. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said unto him, in my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was uh, as though it budded, and her blossom shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand, and Joseph said unto him, this is the interpretation of it, in three the three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head, and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into, into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. That's important. It's important. Remember me. When good things happen, remember me. Remember me. And then the the butler, he, that sounded pretty good. So the baker says, man, um, I've got a dream too. Let me tell you about my dream. <laughs> we find his dream. Verse 16, and when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also have had a dream. And behold, I, I had three white baskets on my head. And the uppermost basket, there was all manner of bakements, uh, baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head and Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. These two men, as they looked and had troubled hearts, they didn't understand what the truth was all about. There was a lack of understanding. The lack of knowing the truth. If we don't know the truth, we can't know the promises of God. Jesus said in John 14, verses 1 through 6, as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, 
Jesus said, in my Father's house, uh, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Thomas saith, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. How can we know the way? <laughs> Such encouragement. He's been telling him he's getting ready to go. He's telling him where he's been telling him where he's going to go to. They weren't listening. They didn't have a heart to, to understand. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The lack of understanding of the truth will cause us to become fearful and troubled. You know, in the book of Proverbs, we find a couple of important terms which need clarification. We find the word wisdom there in the book of Proverbs. The word Proverbs means more than words. The words in Proverbs are the wisdom of God. Wisdom, God's truth. You want to know God's truth? Look in the book of Proverbs. It gives you a lot of God's truth. Little snapshots of God's truth. But there's another word that's used, and it's the word understanding. Understanding is the application of wisdom. The wisdom of God in your daily life. Understanding. A lot of people say, well, okay, I understand what that is, or what God says. But they have no understanding because they don't apply what God's word says. Remember what Jesus said. He used this little phrase. O ye of little faith. Remember, he used it of the disciples that were in the boat when the wind and the storm was, was raising there in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. And they came and said, Lord, don't you care that we perish? And he just speaks a word and it calms the storm. He'd been trying to tell them that he's the creator. He's the one that's in charge of the wind and the waves and all of that. Oh, ye of little faith, why not put your faith into practice and just trust me? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. Remember when Peter was walking on the water in Matthew 14, verse 31, and Peter says, I want to go to you, Lord. The Lord says, okay, come on. The waves are going around, and the wind is boisterous, and he does finally takes the first few steps, but the Lord hasn't changed. The Lord hasn't moved from his position as far as that's concerned. But here's Peter, and he's coming out, and he was looking at the Lord to begin with, but then he started looking at the waves and starts looking at the circumstances, and he gets his eyes off the Lord, and he begins to sink. Folks, that's the exact same thing that happens to us. Looking unto Jesus, Paul in Hebrews 12, verse 2, says, looking unto Jesus, we need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed, is fixed on thee. We need to have our mind fixed upon Jesus. We need to constantly be reminded, fix your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll have peace. So when we get our eyes off of the Lord, we get our eyes on things, on self, or on others. And we start to sink like, the, like Peter did. And he said what? Lord, what? Save me. How many times have we done that? Lord, save me. And he's been there. He's been there. Praise God for that. How about the, the disciples and the Lord's provision? The Lord providing for the disciples. Hey, we don't have any 
bread. Says, well, uh, didn't I give you five loaves and, and five loaves and two fishes? Do you remember how I fed the 5,000? Do you remember how I took care of that? And the seven loaves and the fishes, and we fed 4,000? Why are you worried about me taking care of your needs? Hey, God can take care of our needs. He can. We need wisdom. We need understanding. Our hearts get troubled when we don't understand the truth. That's why of knowing the truth, when you know the truth, rightly dividing the word of truth, you will have peace in your heart. The more you understand this book called the Bible, the more God will give you of his peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, Jesus says, but in me you'll have peace. To focus on the promises and the principles of God's word, you'll have peace. Proverbs 15, verse 21 says this, Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. A person who knows how they're supposed to walk and walks that way will walk uprightly. A man who had hitchhiked from coast to coast and had walked many miles in the process was asked, what he found to be the most difficult to endure. To the surprise of the person who was asking the question, he said it was not the steep mountains or the dazzling sun or the scorching desert that had troubled him, but in his words, the words of the traveler, he said this, it was the sand in my shoe. It was the sand in my shoe. Frequently, the little things in life make the practice of the Christian faith most difficult. Somehow the great trials of life, the moments of crisis, the, the serious illness or death or bereavement have a way of drawing us close to the Lord because we need His strength. But those smaller trials, how they plague us, how they succeed again and again to cause us to fail and to stumble, those little irritations in the home, those endless vexations at the shop or the office, those little rubs with the neighbor, those petty quarrels at church, those are the sands in the shoe which wear out Christ, uh, our Christianity. You say, oh, Pastor, they ought not to, but they do. They do. The application of the wisdom of God in our lives is important. We saw in verse, in verse 20 through 22 that the prophecies both came true, didn't they? In three days, the, the butler was restored back and the baker was restored, uh, or was, uh, his head was lifted and taken off his head, just like was said. But I want you to notice the third point in this message, and that's this, Joseph's plea to be remembered is soon forgotten. In verse 14, notice what he says. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention unto Pharaoh, and bring me out for this, uh, of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that should put me into the dungeon. But verse 23, talking of the baker, or the butler, excuse me. But or yet did he not? But yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, who had forgot him. He forgot him. 
You know, it doesn't take us long to forget the good deeds which others do for us. In Ecclesiastes 9.15, talking about a poor man in a town, when the enemy has surrounded the town, and it says in Ecclesiastes 9.15, it says, now there was, a, there was found, in a, uh, found in it in the city a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. Once the city was delivered, they forgot all about him. So often we think, you know what, God give me wisdom, and God gives you wisdom, and, and you help, are able to help people in a difficult situation, and, and they get out of the situation, and then they go on with life, and they never seem to remember you anymore. It doesn't take long for us to forget the good deeds, which the Lord does for us on a daily basis, does it not? Oh, if you think back about this past week, and all the good things that the Lord has done. He's done some wonderful things. To testify, to give a testimony in time, it's an opportunity for us to remember one of those things or a couple of those things. The food. How many ate this past week? How many uh, were able to drive this past week? Some of us were on a trip, right, Lana? And you were able to drive, and, and, uh, and Linda was able to, to go on a trip and go see family and friends and love. Hey, those are wonderful things. Hey, it's God who allowed all that to happen. Got us from point A to point B, took care of us, provided for our needs. How many, how many breathed this past week? You say, well, Pastor, how ridiculous is that? If we don't breathe, we don't live. You got that right. But you didn't think about it. You just did it. It's because God holds us in his hands, and he is so merciful, and he gave you breath, and he gave you another opportunity to live for him. Man may forget what we do, but God does not. That verse we read back in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, let me go, let's go back there for a second. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. The things that you do for God trying to be a blessing, trying to be a help. May I share with you that God's keeping a record of all those things. God keeps a record of all those things. You say, well, how, only the big things? No. The small things too. Trying to lift the hands that are weary. Trying to come alongside and be an encouragement. A person who's having a difficult time calling him on the phone, not gossiping, but calling him on the phone and say, you know, I just want to let you know I'm I'm praying for you. Hey, that text message that you text to that person just to say, hey, you know what, I just want you to know God laid you on my heart. I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. God keeps record of all these things. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Man may forget or not even know where we are, but God does. Second Corinthians 6, 9, Paul said this, talking about himself, he says, as unknown and yet well known. Unknown. Oh boy, in society and the world we live in, people need to know who you are. Can I tell you something? You may not be known by the world, but you're well known by God. Hey, love the Lord, serve him. Serve him. 
He's a great God. God is shaping you into a vessel for his use. He makes no mistakes in the process. His way is perfect. Psalm 1830 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all them that trust in him. Seek to be the best possible servant for the Lord. How can I serve you, Lord? How can I serve others? God gives us opportunities, and he will this week, to be a servant. Hey, it's not a bad thing to be a servant. It's, Jesus put it this way, he that is chief will be servant of all. The more people you get to serve, the more like the master you have become. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for this time in your word, and I pray, Lord, that we would become more of a servant, more like the master. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to serve others. And Father, I pray that tonight we would be servants, serving you in any way that we possibly can. Lord, that we would listen to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit as you prompt us to, to speak to that one, to put our arm around that one and just let them know that we're praying for them, to give that, that help that they need. Lord, I pray that we would just be listening to your, your still small voice. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you tonight, how good of a servant are you tonight? Well, I serve, I'm a, I'm a volunteer. Well, being a volunteer is good, but don't tell God when and where and how you're going to serve. It's better for you to become a servant. Let him determine what you're to do, how you're to serve, and who you're to serve. Be like the master. Dear Father, I pray tonight for these your folk that you give each of us a servant's heart. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles or your songbooks tonight, excuse me, turn to page 290.